0: Today's episode of Before You Kill Yourself, we have Diane McDonald, who is a psychotherapist in Ireland, and today she's going to talk to us about identity in your relationships. This is so important. What we find now is that post-quarantine, when we look at the stats in China, uh, there's a huge increase in divorces. And a lot of it is due to the financial stressors and uh, other reasons that post-quarantine couples are breaking up and divorcing. And then on top of that, there's the increase in suicides, as r- partly as a result from the divorce rates, uh, but also the loss of uh, status and identity. There's just so many changes that happen uh, once this quarantine lifts and part of it is our identity being attached to the relationships that we're in, our identity being attached to the work that we do. And so Diane McDonald is going to help us to navigate and, and uncover the layers of identity that we have so that we can be more resilient through these changes and more robust and come out of this anti-fragile, as my buddy Nassim would say. We also talk about balancing needs in a relationship, how to build trust and intimacy, and how to stay engaged in your life, not just during this time, but after. And we also talk about the four horsemen of a relationship, the four Four Horsemen or four things that can destroy your relationship, and part of it's the blame game, and we, we get into that, but more importantly, we also will give you coping skills for how to deal with what's going on in your relationship and also what's going on uh, just in your life in general in terms of all the transitions and changes that are taking place. So this is a great episode. Listen to it from beginning to end there's so many nuggets uh and also if you haven't go to thrivewithleo.com go to thrivewithleo.com if you're struggling with feeling effective if you're struggling with feeling connected if you if you feel hopeless if there are feelings of hopelessness go to thrivewithleo.com because you know i've been there and and i'm not i'm not out the woods yet i day by day. I'm using my coping skills. I'm using my self-soothing skills. I'm doing all the things to manage my emotions, to weather through those sandstorms. And I want to teach those to you. And also want to make sure that I'm hearing your story and personalizing how to get you to tomorrow. So go to thrivewithleo.com and let's get to tomorrow together. With that said, let's hop into the episode. Uh, Diane McDonald, I'm excited to have you on.
1: Thank you so much, Leo. I'm really delighted to be on, I'm very honored to be asked to be on your show. So, thank you so much.
0: Um, now, even though this is the quarantine time and couples are having discussions and struggling through, I the, the, the things that st- couples are struggling with right now are timeless. It, it, like, this is not something that's just coming up. Because of the quarantine and coronavirus, the 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 the, the communication uh, or lack of communication between couples, the passive aggressiveness, the I mean, it it's just yeah. highlighting what was I already so. there, right?
1: I think so. I mean, what you have at the moment, like you've said, Leo, is you have a huge amount of stressors that are on all of us at the moment. You know, there's the financial worries, there's Corona anxiety. Uh, We can't get out to see friends and people are worried about um, family members. Um, and then you're working from home and juggling childcare and all of that kind of pressure. You know, um, I'm, I'm a fan of the, the window of tolerance model, you know, and when we look at how much uh, tolerance a couple is going to have for each other at the moment with the stressors kind of piling on from the top and the resources gone from the bottom. What you end up is a very, very window narrow uh, window a uh, narrow window of tolerance rather, um, and that's where we start to get uh, a, a little bit irritable, to say to say the least. you know, most of our nerves get frayed uh, at this point. Um, so you know, I suppose the challenge is how do you balance your own needs with your partner's needs or your family's needs? Um, And like you said, it shows up in in different ways. I mean, yeah, if there's cracks in the relationship already um, and ongoing issues, this is going to just really highlight it for a lot of people. Right. Um,
0: Can we you know, you talked about balancing needs. Can we get to the root? Because I think that part of the struggle is that people have a we struggle with understanding what our true needs are. Like a lot of times, we yeah. think we need, uh, we think we need money, we think we need uh, time, but really at the root of it, you know, when you look at like uh, the list of needs, especially emotional, like we have a need for acceptance, we have a need for appreciation. Can can you speak to that?
1: Well, you know, what I'm noticing in, in practice, Leo, is that a, lot, a lot of different things coming up that it, it's affecting couples in different ways. Um, many couples that I would work with don't even know that they have needs, you know, on, on just on an individual basis even, you know, because we can get very disconnected from our needs at a very early age in our life. So when you uh, are sitting with a couple and you ask them to identify just some of their relationship needs, they will look at each other and then look at me and, and, and really need quite a bit of probing into identifying what what your needs are, whether that's a need for closeness or distance, need for intimacy, need for companionship. Um, And I think identifying some of those needs uh, is is crucial, really, just even being able to, to name them. Um, And and some couples, you know, will really pull together in this time. Um, They really are kind of uh, clear on what what their needs and what what their partner's needs are. Um, So I think any relationship that already has a good foundation and uh, has features such as high level of empathy, affection, patience and a good sense of partnership, if those are already well established, then I think couples are going to do very well uh, out of this crisis. And in fact, we're kind of looking at studies around the world, there's like anecdotal evidence coming out of China that you've probably heard of, where the divorce rates have spiked as soon as the restrictions were kind of. And I lifted, um, and the quarantine was eased a little bit. A lot of couples um, sought divorce, um, which would be similar to what what we would see in terms of couples seeking divorce in after the Christmas period or after the summer period. Any time where couples are cooped up together over a long period of time. Um, however, what we've also seen from from research uh, in other crises, such as say in the wake of Hurricane Katrina it revealed that while divorce rates did rise, but many couples gained a kind of a sense of perspective um, and an appreciation for what they still had, which is, I suppose, love and family are really the big things that people realise, wow, okay, those are the things that matter when everything else is stripped away, as you pointed out, that we, we put our, we, we, what we think our needs are, 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 you know, are really wants, you know, we spend most of our time being busy and focused on our wants, those are not our needs, um, because in Now we're confronted with our very basic needs um, and realising that what we have is enough. Uh, You know. um, and similarly in Australia there's there's findings have emerged after the recent bushfires with couples really surviving and and thriving. However, you know, it's important to kind of point out that these do tend to be the couples that have those strong foundations already in place, you know. So it is difficult for couples that are already under strain. You know, one of the, the challenges I think of the corona anxiety that's around at the moment is that people have very different coping mechanisms. You know, so you may have one partner who's fully immersed in work, learning how to adapt to this new and ever-changing world, um, and their partner's cracking open the third beer of the night. You know, so you have very different coping mechanisms, and that can lead to disagreements. You know, and that can really kind of put a strain on already strained couples.
0: Yeah, because I, I think what happens is is that the person who's cracking a beer open looks like they they're aloof and they don't care. And the person who's sure. working a lot looks like they don't care about the, the relationship. And, and yes. it's both, it's, a, it's really about perception and really like yeah. what, what we do under stress is that we default or return to our uh, most basic habits, right? If we haven't learned right. healthier yeah. coping skills, can, can you talk to what would be healthier coping skills uh, in a time of stress? Um, and, and what people, like you said, people eat crack, they, they overwork or they crack beers open, but what, what are some healthier ways?
1: I mean I suppose you know that we we all have our own kind of different different coping skills and this whole process around coronavirus and being in quarantine it's it's in stages and phases right so I mean I know personally when it started when we were kind of put into lockdown here in Ireland um, and I was quite gung-ho about you know some online yoga and meditation I kind of burned out with it you know after about a week or two I was like, oh, you know, I just need to be, I need to let myself have bad days, you know, and just do nothing. Because there's quite a lot of pressure on people to produce and be really creative and live your best Corona life, you know. So it's, uh, I think, you know, we all know in a sense what's what's a healthy coping mechanism is, you know, something that's going to recharge you or, you know, really replenish you, isn't going to exhaust you the next day. So, you know, cracking open the third beer on the third or fourth night in a row is is going to increase your anxiety is going to is going to lower your tolerance in lots of different ways but i think one of the important things is that we all will have our different ways of coping and we can kind of get into a little bit of a moral high ground on different coping mechanisms as well at times, you know, and I think it's for, for couples anyway. Um, it's important to kind of really not get too moralistic if your partner isn't choosing the same coping skills as you are, because it's chopping and changing, you know. I mean, before within any relationship, you might have good days and bad days. I mean, what we're noticing now is you can have good hours and bad hours. I mean, it really is that much of a roller coaster. That you could wake up in the morning and feel really grateful that you have a roof over your head and that you're you're not unwell um and your kids are healthy. And by the afternoon, the stress of worrying about the future or worrying about uh, financial anxiety or health anxiety, that all that could kick in again. So I think it's really being patient and, and recognizing that, you know, y- where you need to offer your partner support is where you might see them flagging a little bit, you know, and to, to kind of step in there a little bit.
0: Yeah, I'm watching this show uh, Ozark right now with my girlfriend, and yeah, uh, there's a scene where the guy goes, or uh, well, well, the couple goes, and I'm not, I'm, there's no, I'm not giving anything away, but they they Look go good, to the, no, the therapy, no, no spoilers, no spoilers, no spoilers, <laughs> <Good, good.
1: laughs> but they're they're going
0: to therapy, and okay. you know, there's a scene where like they get into an argument right before therapy, and they go, we're gonna save this for the therapy session. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, to me, I, I wonder, does that, is that helpful or hurtful? Or is it, you know, I have- I, or is there, I, maybe that's not the right way to phrase it, but what what's your, what's your uh, take on that?
1: I think it really depends on how high conflict the couple is. So if there's a couple that really they haven't quite acquired the more effective communication skills that they might get from couples therapy or they haven't really kind of got to the root of of what's driving their conflict. Um, and they are not able to open up a conversation at home w- without without really kind of putting the brakes on or without really listening to each other. In that instance, I might say to, to those couples, look, leave it for for here. And um, um, uh, by here, I mean in my office Um and, and I would, you know, hope that that would only really be for the first stage of therapy, you know, so maybe the first kind of six, six to eight sessions that after that they start to kind of find ways that they can do it themselves. Then for other couples, because I'm, I'm hearing your question, I'm not sure if that's, you know, that's fully applicable to, to every couple. There are other couples that are going to use that to avoid having a conversation completely, Um, and are going to use the session to bring out their long, dirty laundry list of all the things their partner did this week that they didn't like, you know. um, And that's not the kind of purpose of it either. So I suppose to answer your question... I'd really be gauging, well, is this an avoidant couple that that's not really advisable for? And I might be trying to help them to talk in between sessions at home. um, Or is this a high conflict couple who are really not going to be able to address anything with uh, with any degree of understanding or empathy for them? I would say, you know, to to to, So really, I suppose the answer to that is to really gauge it, that there isn't a kind of a one size fits all for each couple.
0: Well, you know, you you talked about just circle back a little bit. You talked about early on about the divorce rates in China and how they spiked uh, once yeah. the quarantine was lifted. Uh, I'm assuming we're going to see the same thing happen here in America and in and in different countries, unfortunately. And you know, we, we with the with the loss of your marriage and the loss of routine and and yeah. job loss, and uh, we're going to see a spike in suicides, also like we, sure. we experienced after you know the Great Depression and all uh, mm. the plague and et cetera, et cetera. I think part of it is cause it's mostly men, um, except mm. in China where the divorce rates between men and women are pretty much the same. If not, I think high, maybe higher for women, but I know it's like, mm-hmm. almost like it's almost 50, 50. Um, okay. but you know, part of it is that loss of identity for men yeah. because they were the breadwinners. They made the money or at least they made yeah. more money. And and now they might have to take a a lesser position. How? Yeah. How do we help? I don't want to just specify men because I know women are bred women. But how do we help people deal with the change of identity? I was the man. And now, yeah, I've I've lost that.
1: I mean, I think what you're talking about has really great resonance for me, you know, because I work with a lot of men who are going through a breakup, you know, before this, uh, this coronavirus, you know, the, the, for me, my experience is that's what brings a lot of men into therapy to seek therapy. Um, and I'm always really, really astounded, I suppose, in, in one sense by how deeply distressing it can be for men to to experience that loss. And I'm talking about the, just the loss of the relationship. So, you know, I think any loss like that, and loss of identity is a, is, a, is a huge one. You know, I work with, um, I use the kind of emotionally focused couple therapy model. Um, and one of the kind of things of that is that, you know, usually in a couple, there's one person that's very driven by attachment needs. Um, and there's another person in the relationship really driven, by identity needs and you can kind of identify that in the arguments they have you know of who's defending what or who's more distressed if one person walks out of the room or you know so I think you're right I think identity is is a, is a huge thing for for a lot of men um, and purpose because getting up in the morning going to have a job or being able to provide for your family gives gives all of us a huge sense of purpose you know and i don 't think it would be overstating it to say that we are all going through a a massive grieving process in a sense at the moment um, you know if you take the the kubler ross five stage model which which' we're, most of us are kind of familiar with from the psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross she came out with it at the end of the 60s and the, the five stages of denial bargaining, anger, sadness and finally a, a kind of acceptance so we're all experiencing so many forms of loss yes there's the the loss of identity the, the loss of employment loss of freedom and we can't go out of our, our houses, I, I I don't know what, what stage of kind of lockdown you're at where you are but here we are, we're allowed to kind of go out for some exercise but no further than two kilometers you know and um, we can't uh, meet with friends and all, all of that so the loss of social outlets um loss of security and of course the loss of our health if we get if we get sick you know and to kind of go through those stages you know well with with denial or the chances are that we've kind of been through this already um and unfortunately with some leaders in some countries may have stayed in that stage too long you know and of course it's a, it's a natural reaction to to, to a crisis happening that we will be in denial but um, of course staying in denial has undoubtedly cost lives so but it's really um, you know it's it, it's about then moving moving through those stages you know uh, anger does come up for a lot of men a lot of men respond with a kind of um an emotion of anger for for a lot of things whereas underneath there could be a huge amount of fear you know who who am I if i can't provide for this family who am I if i you know can't get up and go to work in, in the morning you know so that can really start to show itself between couples and that's why I would trying to work with couples to try and get underneath the anger you know as I say oftentimes it, it, it's fear um and then um, we can kind of go into a, a bargaining, you know, well, as long as I'm kind of working one day awake, I'm fine. Or as long as I, you know, you know, the, all the different ways in which that we we desperately try to hang on to a sense of normality, you know, to kind of avoid the, the enormity of it all. Um and then we kind of sink into a, a sadness or a depression because the coronavirus is very overwhelming um, and plus we're forced to stay at home for an unknown length of time. So it can be really tempting to just shut life out, you know, and stay in bed. And you know, as you're saying, there's, there may be a, a spike in, in suicides, you know, so we stay at home, overeat, overdrink, lose our sense of purpose, lose our routines. And these are all really good primers for entering into a stage of depression, you know, Um, And that's why I would always stress the importance of how to resource ourselves, even with the limitations on that. Get outside while maintaining social distance, organize kind of get togethers online, you know, anything you can do to kind of stay engaged in life. And hopefully then move on to a a kind of acceptance of it, you know, and this stage isn't about happily accepting the situation, but it is about understanding what's going on and finding ways to work with it. Because in many ways, this is the new normal and we have to help each each other out kind of as best we can. So it is accepting that a lot of it is outside of our control and some of the feeling of loss of identity may be outside of our control, but it's focusing on what is within our control, you know, focusing on, well, what other ways? I, I'm not just a man that gets up and provides for my family and, and works. I'm not only the person that's in the, the office achieving. Um, it's it's really kind of maybe confronting people with, with looking at that and going, I am more than Um, More than that, you know, so I think I think you're right. It's difficult for for maybe a lot of men who have defined themselves perhaps in these maybe maybe narrow ways, you know, um, to to have to kind of look a little bit deeper and and ask those questions of of who they are, really.
0: Well, you know, one of the things I loved about what you said, I mean, I loved everything. But what stands out to me is you you talked about um, identity attachment. Versus, yeah. I forget, versus what was the other attachment?
1: Well, well it's, it's either you're kind of working off an identity system that that motivates and drives you or you're working off an attachment system. You know, so you kind of a, you know, would sit with a couple and see. Well, usually one person, and usually it is the male that's more driven by identity. So what you'll see is, in an argument, the person with an identity kind of system is going to get very defensive to try to defend that kind of sense of identity. The other person, who's more distressed when when there's an attachment rupture, um, you know, is it, not going to get so defensive about that, but is going to maybe pursue for closeness or get distressed or panicky in that.
0: Uh, oh, right, right. So the, the attachment person is thinking more about the relationship where the identity person is thinking more about the the work or um, it, it's it, it sounds like on some level.
1: Yes, okay. yes, yeah, yeah. Well, that can be very sensitive to anything that might be perceived as, as a slight, you know, so maybe very sensitive to criticism or seeing perceived criticisms where it's not there, you know. Um, and I, and I think that, that there is a lot of pressure on couples at the moment because, you know, if one person has lost their job, and oftentimes it's both, both people who have lost their job, you know, and then the stress that they're putting on each other, you know, well, you should be out doing this or can you do this? Or, you know, trying to kind of control some of which is certainly at the moment outside of our control. You know, what do I do when I'm, when I'm not, you know, out there driven and ambitious and I, I just need to kind of go with the flow at the moment? And that's not easy.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that um, I, I was listening to Esther Perel, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that yeah. you, you heard, and, yeah. you know, she, she brought up something very interesting. She talked about how to say thank you. And she said, yeah. when you say thank you to someone, just don't address, uh, just don't say a blanketed thank you. You also yeah. want to say thank you and then address the character trait. Like, thank you for, you know, laying the towels out. That was very thoughtful yeah. of you. That was very yeah. kind. And and I think that if we get better at addressing not the, the behavior, but highlighting a person's character traits, yeah. then, then that's something that is um, more permanent, right? Yeah. Because your job and your job status and your marital status and your relationship status, those things are all fluid. Like we, ideally, we love them to, to be permanent, to be married sure. to someone forever and but like if you're if you're an honest person, if you're a leader, if you're brave, if you're responsible, these these character traits are usually something that's timeless and that that can help anchor us uh, yeah. in, in, into uh, into stability versus being anchored into what we do. Because if you get injured, you get hurt, you could that could that can throw a lot of things in a limbo, but it doesn't change your character. Right. That's
1: right. Yeah, that's right. There's something very beautiful about that. I mean, I can even kind of feel myself softening, you know, as you're talking about that, because how often do we get the opportunity in our relationships to really sit down and 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 highlight that for the other person, you know, highlight that we've noticed that, uh, you know, and to and to thank them for it. I think that's lovely. Yeah. And it reminds me of I, I sometimes do do an exercise with couples called a clearing exercise. Uh, and really, it's just, I mean, very simple. It's almost kind of like an active listening exercise where one person will 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 finish the sentence and I'll feed it to them and I'll say, OK, I want you to start the sentence with something I want you to know is and I want you to finish that and tell your partner and the partner will just say thank you. So they're not allowed engaged or, you know, agree or disagree, but just just thank you. Um, I think there's something very open hearted about saying thank you. You know, um, and so I might kind of go on with, okay, I want you to say finish this sentence. Something I'm scared about right now is uh, and and then to continue that on something I see in you that I see in myself. Uh, And what's lovely about that is because we have so many projections in our relationship, you know, and that's really about owning that, you know, go, I I see I see that you're you're really scared at the moment about this. And I'm I'm a bit annoyed about that. And I want you to not be scared. I want you to go and get a job or whatever it is. But you know what? I have some of that in myself too. You know, so it's really about owning and taking back those projections and and just just connection, really. You know, so I've kind of got a series of nine or ten sentence kind of stems of sentences that I will ask the person to just 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 keep answering and just keep keep finishing that sentence. Um, and I think that this crisis at the moment is giving us an opportunity to be able to to sit down and and do something like that. You know, because. We with less focus on conversations that revolve around, okay, who's picking up the kids from school or what time will you be home so I can plan dinner? There's just now a little bit more space to really check in with each other on on a deeper level. You know, what are your partner's hopes and dreams in life? What are their biggest fears about all that's going on at the moment? And to really listen uh, to what the other person says. You know, I think it's about trying to see each other with fresh eyes um, and that's not always easy when we're with the busyness of life and rushing around and just trying to, to survive in other ways, right?
0: Well, you know, what I love about that idea of seeing each other with fresh eyes is that it it also encourages us and reminds us to see ourselves with fresh eyes because a lot of times yeah. we... Start to believe that, uh, you know, oh, I'll, I'll never be able to do this or I'll never. We start mm-hmm. using words like never and only and uh, this black and white thinking can kick sure, in. Sure. But as we learn yeah. to practice seeing the other person with fresh eyes, then we start to see ourselves with fresh eyes and we don't get locked into our job status and relationship status. Yeah. So we become more fluid in our thinking.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think in a way that this is forcing us to do that, too, because a lot of our own ways of doing things aren't available to us um and yes we're needing to think creatively and how I'm going to do my job and all of that but i think we're being confronted with uh, certain realities about about that you know so yeah as well as, as our partners we ourselves uh, like like you said leo it's, we're trying to look at ourselves with, with fresh eyes okay if i strip away all these other things that i that i believed defined me and I don't have that. Uh, what am I left with? You know. And I mean, we're, there's so much resilience as well. I mean, uh, uh, that I've just been seeing, and community. You know, people kind of coming together in a community spirit, and and showing great resilience, and and connecting in with, I don't know, something much more. Uh, I don't. For me, it's been very heartwarming in lots of ways. I mean, it's it, it's it's a dichotomy, right? Because you have the complete tragedy of what's happening in all. Our countries around us, and then you have this kind of coming together of, of of people and people working for free and pulling in their their resources and and helping out the the kind of frontline workers. Um, so it, it's a mixed bag you know that's what I'm really with it's like at the end of the day you know I I kind of look might look at the figures in my own country and try and get the updates and it's a, it's a strange kind of it's out there and I'm in here quality to it I, do, I don't know if it's the same for you Leah or you experience it in the same way well you
0: know here it's interesting yesterday me and my girl went to a farmer's market and of course, it wasn't as, as packed as it usually is. Of course, also, the, the government's encouraging us. Uh, I, should, I, I mean, they're telling us to stay home, but it's not uh, yeah. mandated everywhere. Now, uh-huh. I know in Los Angeles, you can be fined if you uh, don't have a mask on. Uh, okay. And then there's some places where uh, there's I think there's a curfew where you can't be on the streets past 10 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's different depending on where you live. But, you know, right now sure. I'm, in, I'm in San Diego and we live in a, a very residential place where it's mostly homes, but it's also uh, a business district. So uh, there's a lot of park space and a lot of open space. So I think people feel more comfortable walking around here because it's not a it's not a it's not like uh crowded yeah. like Manhattan or Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And and so where I think if I lived in in those areas, I'd be much more hesitant about leaving my my home versus here where across the street from our place is a park, you know. Yes. So there's open space. There's enough uh, room for social distance. So I don't feel it as much here, but I'd imagine if I was in if I were in different parts of of the state or the country, I'd feel it much more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a strain. I mean, here what we've had is, you know, I think it was four weeks ago, they suddenly closed the schools. I mean, we kind of found out halfway through the day that they were closing the schools um, and then they introduced further lockdowns last week. And, you know, as I said, we're pretty much confined to, to our two kilometre radius. Um um, so it it is mandated in lots of ways um, so it's it's a yeah it's just an odd situation and people are doing this kind of strange which way will I go left or right when they're out walking this awkward kind of uh, don't want to bump into another person but aren't quite sure what the, the social etiquette is around it you know so it's a, it's an odd thing and actually for some of my couples that I've been working with who might have very um, difficult circumstances, so couples say who are separated but are living under one roof for financial reasons or because of children. Now you have a whole new area within which conflict can arise, you know, so any of the kind of boundaries that they may have set up within that difficult living situation. Now that doesn't fit anymore. So you have one person saying, well, I need to know who you've been out with uh, or else I might use it in upcoming legal proceedings or one person might now be in a new relationship and uh, the other person doesn't know, but it has to come out now for safety reasons. So huge challenges for that, you know, um, or couples that are living apart, but who continue to co-parent together because um, I've heard some partners instructing their ex-partners to stay away from the children for extended periods and it can really raise suspicion as well as in is my partner really protecting the children or is this being used against me in some way so it's, it's creating lots of lots of different kind of um, stresses for people uh, who are all in, in very different situations um, including new relationships because I've some clients that are ent- entering into new relationships at the start of all this Uh, and now they're faced with the challenge of not being able to see each other physically so some people have spoken about how this kind of enforced courtship period works really well for them because they can slowly build up trust with the other person over the phone or uh, over video conferencing or whatever methods they they have so it's had a kind of a profound effect on 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 all the different kind of couple presentations that I've seen which has been really interesting actually really interesting to work with and 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 really difficult as well you know that there isn't a, a kind of a one size fits all again for for any couples. It really depends on the situation.
0: Well, you know, one of the things you brought up was the idea of building trust, and yeah. you know, uh, I would imagine that one of the things that would surface uh, is uh, infidelity or some type yeah. of betrayal on on some level, and and now having to, to deal with that, uh, you know, that it's on top of everything else. Uh, yeah. How how when people say is that the right way to phrase it building trust and and what 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 does that really mean after a betrayal or, or infidelity has been uh, brought to surface?
1: Well, I mean, I think I almost think of um, building trust in, in the same way, you know, just to kind of go back to Erikson's life, lifespan model, you know, and his he talks about different stages of development and. One of the first stages that we are all tasked with when we come into this world is building trust. Um, and how do we trust that our, our our primary care caregiver is going to come and feed us? Um, and it's why and we don't. We we come into the world and we roar in the way that only a newborn can can roar with huge distress, because we really don't know if somebody's going to come. And then over time, with enough repeated action of well, I'm 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 going to be fed. That cry starts starts to change a little, but starts to soften. We we have a little bit more tolerance. The mother or the father, whoever's coming, can take that little bit longer, you know, and we know we're OK. And I think it's very similar with couples. So when there has been a, a breakdown of trust like that, it, the trust is, and it's actually not just breakdown, it's shattered. I mean, people talk about it is in splinters on the ground. I, I don't know. Which one to trust? Is this the real you now? Or was it the was it the you that was lying to me before? I I don't know who I am. Um, and, And actually, even harder than that is is the rebuilding of trust in in yourself if it's happened to you, because then you begin to go, I don't even know if I can trust myself. I didn't see this coming. I didn't notice that, you know, he or she was having an affair. So it, it, that can be almost take longer, you know, to really, because we all like to be able to trust our gut instinct on a person. You know, it's what keeps us safe that we can kind of scan our environment um, and we, we can trust our gut instinct. When that's, that hasn't worked for us, that's really hard to rebuild. Um, so I think it's it's a slow process of, of really, uh, the person who's, who's kind of had the affair needs to be very honest, also, always kind of gauging that in the session because sometimes the, the for you for want of a better word the victim um doesn't always want to know all the details you know so you're kind of gauging that all the time but transparency is really important so the person has to be really transparent transparent about emails about phone uh, everything kind of out for a while not forever you know but it's certainly in the kind of early stages of rebuilding trust and then really it's kind of over time and and a, and a couple's ability to be able to talk openly and honestly about it because there are so many triggers when a couple has been affected by an affair I mean you can't avoid it they're watching telly it's going to be on some some program on the tv you know it's going to be out and about so it's there's constant triggers but if a couple can kind of look at each other and speak rather than the big elephant in the room that goes a long way to, to building trust you know and there's always be there'll be peaks so there'll be times when it goes backwards say if one person has to go away overnight for a, a work conference or something like that um there may be need to be extra things put in place you know okay well you need to kind of call call her while you're there or you know text to let her know she's on your mind or whatever it is and then over time that that you can really build a a relationship, uh, you know, and it, it, almost, almost kind of a brand new relationship. That's, that can be very solid. In, in fact, it's one of my favorite areas to work on with couples, you know, it's very painful. Um, and it's certainly the early stages, but once a couple can kind of get there, it's so rewarding, you know, it's really lovely work.
0: Have you found that, uh, men and women are, and I don't even know if they should be broken down in, by men and women, but, are, uh, are, are, are cheating for different reasons or is it about breadwinner versus non-breadwinner like how do you I mean because usually we go men women but is there another yeah delineation Uh,
1: I I don't know I mean if there's a pattern I'm quite seeing it you know yeah I think it would have been more men at some stage but I think that's definitely changing now Um, and as I was saying earlier in in the interview Leo what I'm seeing a lot is men coming into therapy on their own because their partner has met somebody else or broken up the relationship so it seems to be happening more and more um, and in terms of reasons, because, I mean, the why question is, is such a big one, especially for couples who are coming together, trying to kind of repair the relationship. Um, the why is really important for, for, for the, the, the again, the victim, to, to use that word, even though it doesn't quite fit, but to ask because, and it's natural, because once we know why, then we can set about trying to put things in place so it won't happen again. The difficulty is that there isn't always a clear cut why. You know, people can. And actually, you mentioned Esther Perel earlier, and she talks really beautifully about this topic because she talks about. The person who you know has the affair, there's just something, there's something kind of that's died inside them. There's some kind of life and and vivaciousness that ha- that has been long gone. That an affair brings them alive in that way, you know. So, if and that that's not an easy answer to give somebody who's hurt in the situation, you know. So, but it's it's yeah, it's really about. There isn't always the obvious in the relationship that, that, that led to it. Yes, there might be cracks where, where it got in, you know, or a couple aren't communing, but not always. And I think that's really, really difficult is that somebody can say, look, I absolutely love you and I wanted some excitement from this other person. You know, so it, it, it isn't, even though it's human nature for us to want to know the why, the why, the why. Um, and I, in my sessions with couples, I'll always, you know, work alongside that um, and kind of speak to that part as well. We try and find out the why. But it's a little bit of a, a dead end because, you know, the person doesn't. Oh, it's it's a bit it's multifaceted, really, you know. Um, but I think something comes alive for them uh, in the affair that that hadn't been awakened in, in a very long time. And I think if there is a and that can happen for both men and women, you know, I don't think that there is um, as much of a kind of a gendered breakdown in that as as maybe there used to be, you know, but I think I think partly because women are more independent, working, working ourselves, financially independent, you know, I think we're kind of seeing a, a balancing out in that regard in lots of ways.
0: Well, you know, what's interesting is, you know, uh, on Ozark once again, and this is first episode, yeah. I'm not giving anything away, but someone <laughs> cheats. I'm not, you know, and, yeah. and the reason that the person gives is because they wanted to feel alive. And there you go. what I've, what I've realized, and I've heard that before and, and I've cheated myself. I'm, I'm not, not in my uh-huh. current relationship, but I have cheated before. And it's true. It's, there's an excitement. There's a dopamine rush. There's a, uh, mm-hmm. this the, all the things that are associated with it you get to be a different person and and do different and whatever whatever is entailed in it and uh what I've realized is uh, that feeling of aliveness also comes from being extremely present comes from mm. being extremely truthful and what I mean by that is um I i've realize that a lot of times in my in relationships what's been challenging me for for me to express are the uh the gray areas um, mm. emotionally like to 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 express joy happiness anger not a problem but mm. for me to express uh sadness hurt uh mm-hmm. disappointment those things are a challenge and and I think that as you start to callous over those emotions, and brush them under, you start to you 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 start to lose a piece of yourself, and you don't feel present, and then you feel like the person you're with doesn't see you or doesn't understand you or they don't hear you, or you don't feel connected, and and yeah. you don't realize you're the one that's been building the wall slowly and surely because you you you've been afraid. Afraid to show up as your full self, and I and I imagine for a lot of men who have an identity crisis right now because they're losing their job and they're losing a lot of them probably haven't even told their wives the, the truth of the economic situation of the finances and where all the money is and where it's been going and uh, mm. and, and how they feel about it. Right? It's yeah, and, and so that aliveness that that we seek and that i seeking it comes. From this moment right here, right now, you looking her in the face or you looking yourself in the face and just being present and honest, does that yeah. does, does that resonate on any level?
1: I mean, it really resonates with me because sometimes when I'm working with couples, say outside of this particular issue, you know, if there's just a, a kind of a drift over years a, and a lack of intimacy and a, just a lack of kind of basic liking of each other in a way, and I might inquire as to when is the last time that you went out together and, and you know these are things that again we all know but I'm always amazed you know that people don't our couples don't spend enough time doing something new and I think that's what an affair brings as well is that it, it, it's we like new stuff you know where our brains like new things you know it does fire us up in that way um, and unfortunately in long-term relationships there's a lot of kind of, you know, the stuff that makes relationships solid and workable and uh, a good framework to have children in, all of that stuff is it is is not the most exciting. Let's kind of face it. It really isn't. You know, who's going to do the shopping? Or I say, who's going to pick the kids up from school? And then you hit the end of the day, and like we all do, put on Netflix and pass out. You know, so it's like you can see why any one of us, as human beings, would get excited or awaken up or come alive. You know, now it's stepping outside of the boundary of the relationship. And oftentimes, you know, people don't realize the the cost of that, you know, or the price of that, because the part that comes alive takes over. It does kind of. Push reason and rationality out of the way, um, so you're still not operating in the fullness of your being, even though by God it feels like that, you know. Um, so, so it's always kind of striking that balance. But it, it, it's it's hard in in couples therapy because I always want to kind of, you know, empathize with the person who, who's had the affair, but you have to strike this balance, you know, because I want to empathize because I see, yeah, well, you're a human being, and people people make all sorts of mistakes, and it, it, it served some purpose and a something alive um, and that can can happen in a later stage of therapy maybe just not in the first two sessions you know um but I think you're absolutely sp- spot on you know it really is it's just that aliveness and that spark and you know it's finding how to reroute that back into your relationship it's like how to prioritize the two of you and it's not going to happen with one date night You know, it's it's really takes a concerted effort and conscious effort. And that's just not as sexy. (laughs) So, you know, but it's it's uh, it's it's for the greater good, I suppose. You know, it's kind of what we want.
0: It's true. Uh, You know, uh, me and my girl right now are practicing uh, saying, you know, uh, just even saying thank you. And then uh, using Mm. the character in there. I mean, we always say thank you to each other for things. But to say, hey, thank you for being so patient. Thank you. That was very thoughtful. Like that takes extra effort to, to, to spill out those last couple character trait words and, and sometimes can feel fake and phony because, you know, no, most people, we know, you know, we don't really talk like that. And, uh, to, to rephrase questions in a, in a way that, uh uh, is non-violent towards each other like instead of saying hey could you grab that it's like hey would you be open to uh you know doing the laundry it's like you know all those things take extra neurons firing and synapsing and and coming together and it feels unromantic but in a long haul it it becomes natural and fluid and 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 not as uh, uh brain staking
1: yeah, and I think what's lovely about that as well is it just makes you conscious of it because you're you're needing to look out for those qualities that you like in each other, you know. So you've set yourself that task, and I think one of the difficulties with us in relationships, and certainly the couples that that I see in my practice, is we get so stuck in negative scripts about our partner. Um, and it is all that we allow into our our, our, our frame of mind then, you know, we, we really start to see the negative um, and we're hardwired to see the negative. You know, that's a very old part of our brain that is keeps us keeps us safe in the world. But it's it's problematic in a relationship where. We only see, oh, "I wish," you know, "wish he would lock the back door." When I, I keep saying to him, "Why didn't he put out the the, the rubbish?" Or you know, uh, he never, always and never. You mentioned earlier, you know, all of those little things that really alert us to the fact that we are we are responsible for the negative scripts that we kind of perpetrate about our partner, um, and that that takes a while to kind of. To kind of drive home, I suppose, with couples, especially in the first few sessions where there's a blame game happening or people feel absolutely self-righteous that, you know, I have every right to be angry. Um, He did this and this and this or she did this and this. And, And just trying to to soften a little bit, you know, to 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 really help somebody to look for the positives. And it does require that little bit more more work, you know, as as you're saying, you know, to really. Uh, cause it, but it generates it. Then it generates a different kind of mindset, you know, because we know, and especially kind of to circle back around with the, with the coronavirus at the moment, anxiety and tension are, are 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 as contagious, and negativity are as contagious as this virus is. But in the same breath, so are kindness and compassion. So we do need to cut each other a little bit of a slack and let go of those negative scripts that we often have about each other. Because we can't control our partner's behavior, but we can take control of the ways that we're thinking about those behaviors. So, and that is what we, as individuals, are responsible for—not changing our partner, but changing how we think about about them.
0: You know, you talked about negative scripts and, uh, and you know, in the in in the blame game and. I know part of that is uh, the, the four, uh, I forget what it is, the four horsemen of relationships. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like blaming that. and what, what are they?
1: Well, there's, there's criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling.
0: So do you have a script? Do you have different, because earlier you said you had ex, like a clearing exercise and, uh, yeah, and I'm sure you yeah. had other exercises. Do you have counter scripts for the negative scripts or, or for those or uh, a way of I helping mean, people reshift that?
1: I think what well, one of the things I kind of do is to try and, first of all, to make people aware of it. You know, because we we can feel quite defensive in ourselves. Go, oh, you know, I because I, people people trust their thoughts far more than they should you know, if I'm thinking it, therefore it must be true. Right. So, you know, even kind of bringing that concept to somebody's awareness of, well, your thoughts, you know, are, aren't always the best, the best kind of guide for you. Um, and when you're thinking very negatively, it doesn't mean it's actually so, you know, so I would generally kind of work with just trying to kind of increase somebody's awareness ar- around that you know and with in the session like as i say i might do an active listening exercise and we might be listening out for those four horsemen um that Gottman talks about you know um and in a really kind of gentle and non- non-shaming way i will try to kind of look look there was the criticism or the contempt and the defensiveness is coming up so you're just trying to bring people's awareness to what they are actually doing you know and then usually i find that when couples you know when they become aware of it and when they when they've kind of discovered even if it's just in the session a nicer way of communicating uh, it feels good. So they kind of, you know, they don't revert back to their old way as quickly, you know. So usually, just an active listening exercise would be something I would do where one person talks and, you know, and the other person listens and you're not allowed to interrupt. Uh, and just to notice what comes up for you when you're not allowed in- to interrupt. And it's usually defensiveness. You know, people are usually kind of going, I really wanted to step in there and say a sentence that started with yes, but, yes, but. And you go, okay. When that's in your mind, you know that you're defensive. You You know, so so that I would do. And then the clearing exercise that I mentioned earlier as well, just to kind of help with connection and help with a kind of a a different way. of, You know, I I don't work in a kind of um, worksheets and homework and and that kind of way. Generally speaking, Um, I sometimes think that as a couple therapist, my my role is to on a very basic level is to facilitate some really deep and honest conversations between two people. Um, And to really kind of create uh, an environment for them where they can do that, you know, Um, and that 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 generally seems to work quite well.
0: Well, you know, because that is what we're talking about with intimacy. I I think so much of intimacy gets caught up in sexuality and the physicalness where it's like when we talk about trust it's like, can I trust you with all of my emotions? Can I trust you with this hurt? in this worry, yeah. in this sadness, yeah. in this grief. And I think a yeah. lot of people don't have that level of trust and intimacy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, that can be born out of experience with their partner, you know, where somebody has opened up or somebody has been vulnerable um, and, and, and has spoken from that very primary place. Um, and if their partner doesn't really recognize that or maybe speaks over or dismisses it or... Uh, doesn't see it as important and then we kind of go back into our shell a little bit um, you know and start to kind of say well that that didn't go well so I'm not going to do it again you know so it's uh, and and, and it, it may not be any kind of malice intent on the other person's part They just might be not a very good listener or a, a little bit a kind of overwhelmed you know I, I talked earlier about Identity being a kind of a, a primary driver for, for for usually one person in the relationship, um, and oftentimes it's it's the man in a relationship, you know. And this is the kind of old joke of when a woman says, "We need to sit down, we need to talk," and the man goes, "Oh God," you know. And usually it's because. I, I don't know what I'm gonna say when she opens up, or you know, I I have given her all my solutions and she, she won't take me up on any of them, you know, and um and and really it's, it's a huge fear, you know, they feel men can feel very overwhelmed, you know, very flooded. Um, and John Gottman talks about this as when a woman is coming at a man, very emotional, maybe very distressed or very vulnerable, um It can it can be it can feel like an emotional kind of cascade or a flooding of sorts. And that's where men might get defensive or shut down, you know, going, I just can't can't really kind of take you in anymore. And then that keeps the cycle going because then the other person feels negated or dismissed or, you know, as we were saying, kind of goes back into their shell a little bit. So people get stuck or couples get stuck in this kind of negative interactive cycle you know, and they they spark it off each other. They they react off each other in in, in those negative ways. Um, and I think what you said earlier about, you know, we can disconnect from a lot of kind of our own truths, you know, then that can kind of happen because we might say, well, oh, it doesn't really matter what I'm feeling, you know, I'll, I'll just disconnect from that. It's easier for me to not be in touch with my needs or to not be in touch with my feelings than it is to open up, Ask for those needs to be met, and experience the pain of it not being met. Yeah, you know, that can be extremely painful, and it can trigger lots of kind of old wounds. Or you know, it triggers usually triggers a very young part of us. You know, that we that we kind of tend to act out of. Then, you know, oftentimes when I'm working with couples, really, it's like I have two very young people in the room in the room with me. You know, who are acting out of very young parts. It may be that they're both sulking or both kind of stonewalling each other, but it's, it's trying to listen to those younger parts um, while, while engaging the adult online. Because ultimately, you want two people whose adults are online and are operating and communicating from that place to each other.
0: You, can, can you speak more to that? Because you're absolutely right. There. I, even in myself, I, I notice there are times where I, I feel like a nine year old. I'm either a nine year old or I'm an adult. And, yeah. uh, there, am it creates moments of confusion because yeah. I'm like, oh, well, we all have a, a kid in us and, 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 uh, and that uh, hopefully that, that kid never goes away. And, you know, certain yeah. things yeah. like eating comfort foods or, uh, you yeah. know, just laying on a couch, like you, you kind of feel like a kid then. And then there are times where you feel like an adult and, um, yeah. Is that I guess I don't know what the question is, but it because I guess what I'm saying is there's not a problem with your your kids showing up occasionally. No, if you need no. that
1: yeah you really do oh. I mean, I suppose you know like I think we all have our adult part, we all have our younger parts, um and without that you know young part we we wouldn't know how to f- have fun, you know or we wouldn't know how to kind of have a sense of wonder or or awe in the world, you know so we we always need that that younger part with us, um I think the problem arises when we're asking that younger part to be very adult in the world and they might not be ready or they might be scared or they might need just a little bit of support, you know, before kind of taking over, you know, or in relationships, it comes out all the time, you know, because a, a very young part or my partner reminds me of a time in, in my life when I was younger, when I did feel dismissed or when I didn't feel listened to. Um, and I'm acting as if my partner is now, you know, my mother or my father, you know, so we, which is, as you know, is kind of transference in, in to, to use psych, psychotherapeutic terms. So you're kind of identifying with a couple because you might have one partner who's very, thinks they're adult but they're actually a, like a very kind of a critical overbearing parent um, and they're talking down to their partner as if their partner is a child so you've got a very unhealthy dynamic you know you see that a lot in in relationships where, where dominance is an issue or kind of dominance and control you know um, so that's kind of one kind of picture of that but to, to kind of get back to, to what you're talking about it's yeah we we all have those, those different parts in us um, it's when your nine year old speaking for the whole and pushing out uh, adult parts of you when you really need to have your adult parts on on board or your rational part on board I think that's when it becomes okay I I I need to I need to just soothe this young part now that that wants to I don't know go out and have fun all night long or wants to have a big uh, sulky argument with this person I need to get my adult online a little bit you know and it's not about criticizing or berating that younger part it's really just acknowledging you know okay I know you're scared or I know you want to go out and have fun right now or whatever it is and we we can do that later but right now I have some kind of adult adult adulty things to to deal with you know so it's kind of about looking at your the relationship within you between your adult part and your younger part you know and how those parts relate to each other and then then you add another person into the mix in in couples and with couples therapy and it it, it becomes uh, even more complicated in that way.
0: Is there, um, something that most couples should do before they get married or, um, that, that, that they don't do you like, Hey, you guys should I mean, I, I would assume most of it usually is tied to finances in that way, but is there, is there some type of emotional work? Cause I feel like mo- so many people are growing up without parents and if they do yeah. have parents, the parents modeled, uh, probably didn't model the best way to communicate, mm. Mm. And so we're really just doing what's been modeled uh, for yeah. us. Right. On some level. Yeah. Or we overcorrect. We do the exact opposite. That's right. And don't realize it's just as bad. Um, how I mean, it's one thing to say empathizing. But what is that? How do we really help people communicate more effectively?
1: I mean that in an ideal world, I suppose you'd be looking at okay uh, when you meet somebody, you should sit down, talk about your life goals, make sure you're on the same page, talk about finances, talk about your but. But none of us do that, right? I mean, we just we meet somebody, we're caught up in it, and you know, uh, like we were talking earlier about the newness and the, the the kind of romance of it as well. That that's where we're at. You know, it's only really later that we kind of go, oh, this thing this might cause a problem. I mean. it I think ideally, in a way, it's it's your work on self, right? Because if you if you know yourself well or you've done some work on, on some of that, the what you've brought up in terms of that we might not have received the ideal modeling growing up um, and it's left its mark. It's lack of awareness that causes causes the issues, you know. So we carry that with us uh, kind of unexamined, undigested um, we kind of walk a little bit blind I- I into our relationships. Sometimes we might learn along the way um, through trial and error and from different relationships. Um, but ultimately, I think probably the the only thing that we can do that will set us up for, I suppose, more success in relationships is really to develop a better level of self-awareness. Um, and, and hope that the person that you fall in love with has, has done a little bit of that work themselves as well. Because um, I think it's when, when we're out of awareness or when stuff is in our unconscious or we just don't know the the ways in which we're being affected by by our past. That, that's when it causes issues for us.
0: You know, that makes so much sense. Uh, the other day I didn't get a good night's sleep and <laughs> I was super irritable for the entire day. And, you know, my girl was, you know, she's trying to hug me, kiss. And I was just like, I didn't get enough sleep last night. I'm very irritable, so I'm going to be very distant for most of this day. There's nothing I can overcome. Know that tonight I'll get a good night's sleep, and then I will show up as my full self. But I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to pretend this is where I'm at right now. And she respected the honesty, gave me my space, and we were back to our normal routine the, the following day. And
1: yeah, because you owned it. I you owned know, it and I was they, aware yeah.
0: of it and I didn't because it would have been very easy. A younger Leo would have thought that uh, maybe I, I was I would have projected I would have been angry at her. Don't touch me. Why are you touching me? Yeah. Gonna, yeah, I yeah, got yeah. stuff to do. I, I got to, you know, uh, but yeah. I was very aware of how my lack of sleep. Uh, influenced my behavior Absolutely. and how I felt. So yeah, I was, I, I, yeah,
1: yeah. At the moment, I'm doing I'm doing a five two diet. Do you know the five two diet? What's the five
0: two like,
1: diet? A five two diet is where you fast for two days in a week. Like you can have maybe 500 calories on those days, but you're ultimately you're fasting. <laughs> so i noticed that on those days and it took me a while to notice it but i was like i am so irritable i mean every word that is coming out of everyone else's mouth is like grating on my ears you know so again i kind of realized i say, okay i need to i need to withdraw a little bit here from people and the world but i'm able to now say Look, I'm really hungry, and I, I'm not going to be able to be a kind person to you. So just, you know, you mind yourself. Don't take it personally, and just if you could not talk to me, that would be great. You know, it, but it's, it's just so, you need to say it.
0: It's so liberating too to to know <laughs> what the source is, and then to be able to communicate that, and then hopefully, right? You the, yeah. the people who are receiving it receive it in a way that uh, yeah, it that you can you can move forward it doesn't stifle the relationship you know yeah i I I think
1: what's so difficult is people people are left kind of mind reading their partners all the time you know so what's lovely about you saying that is she's oh she can the relief you know okay it's it's his problem something's up with him and i'll just give him space but we start to develop all sorts of narratives of, you know, what's wrong and all sorts of false meaning making. And, you know, it builds and builds and builds, you know, and then you have an argument. So it's just, you, you, you're you kind of giving your partner that gift of going, look, this isn't you, it's me to use that old line. Um, and I'll be back to myself tomorrow. You know, it's, it's great. It's great. And so simple.
0: Hey, but you know, what, what's interesting is that, uh, what we don't say because we're afraid of hurting the other person's feelings. Yeah, You know, it's like, like my girl made something the other day and she was like, how's it taste? And I was like, it's missing something. I don't know what it is, but, uh, I'll eat it, but it's, it is. And then she was like, Oh, you know what? It is missing, uh, a and B, or I should have substituted this with that. And I was like, all right, so next time you'll make something that I'll be like, I love it, but I'm not, I'm not going to be like, Oh, yeah, this is good, oh, you know, like no, <laughs> it's missing something, I don't <laughs> I don't yeah, I
1: don't yeah. yeah and they, and again, yeah, you're kind of you know you're both being very adult in that space, you know, it's not triggering her child or it's not triggering yours, yeah, but you're reminding me of I remember my parents when they got married. Um, and actually, they lived in upstate New York soon after they got married. And, and my dad used to get up and go to work at early, early in the morning. And my mom used to get up and make him this big cooked breakfast, um, you know, would get up early to do that. And she, I think she did that for a couple of months. And after one morning, my dad got up and said, you know, I, I'm just getting a bit tired of the same thing. I wonder, could you kind of change it up a little bit? And my mom never cooked him breakfast ever again. <laughs> Was it was wow okay <laughs> so
0: all right so that's great so how do you <laughs> think what would have been a better way for him to phrase that so that it would have because it's not what I he said right it's how he said it that, that, i mean yeah. i'm gonna attribute yeah. it to that right it's it's in the yeah. way it was delivered
1: yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, if you look at the, the reaction that my that mum had, you know, which, it, it, you know, she, she's, I'm taking a guess that she's feeling fairly undervalued and that that's how she heard it. Um, and, you know, what, what, I don't, I'm not quite sure what he could have said differently, but he, he, he may have prefaced it, you know, with something that much um, he enjoys the you know, thanks for getting up or I'll do it myself tomorrow, whatever it might be. I don't know. But that triggered something where she just went, no, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> so I think he regretted it, you know, Then I'm happy Delighted to say they're they're happily married uh, over 50 years now, so it didn't cause too much damage. But um, you know, it is. Uh, I think it's probably a good example of actually when we do respond or react out of a younger part, that kind of because in essence she's kind of. She's kind of storming out of the room, you know, and saying, I'm right. never doing that again. You know, right. so that's a kind of a good example of a younger part got triggered, you know. So wait, um,
0: can he, he, what did he say again? Can you go back? to How did he so say it? He, he said,
1: he said, he said, um, I'm just wondering if you could um, cook me something, something different tomorrow morning to, to kind of change it up a bit. <laughs> uh,
0: ah, yeah, you know, so she, I, so I, I there's a couple things, I think, that where he went wrong yeah. in there. One on. is the timestamp. Like overnight, <laughs> he wanted his his wife to come up with something new, you know. right? So yeah. at, that means like she might have to run out to the store. She might have to. She already got tomorrow planned. She's a woman. She got the whole week planned. And now exactly. you, you've thrown her a monkey wrench into what she's gonna make for tomorrow. That's one is that he's asked for yeah. it tomorrow. He made a yeah. less than 24 hour demand yeah. right there. Exactly. That's a no no, yeah, you don't do that. Yeah, off. the timing was off. <laughs> and 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 two, he wasn't he wasn't specific. What I would have done was like, uh, hey, if we have some blueberries or something, can we throw that in there? Can we throw in? Like instead of changing yeah. the whole breakfast. Because it also creates confusion. Is it the entire breakfast or is (laughs) it just the eggs or is it the toast or is it, you know.
1: That's right. right. But
0: it it takes, like you said, it goes back to a level of awareness. Uh, Like my girl made something the other day. I forgot what it was. And I I was like, what is it? And I go, oh, cheese. It needed uh, a different texture. Like there, yeah. there was a hot, there was a salad, but I, I needed a, a like feta cheese or something uh, yeah. on top, and you know, but I was able to communicate that. So boom, done, fix. But if you if you don't know what it is you want or yeah. need, then you you just kind of throwing it on the other person, and now your mom and now his wife is afraid of making another mistake. Like, what if the next thing that I make for you? you don't like also and how long is it going to take you to tell me that you don't like it you know so it's a whole array of
1: oh that's uh, what it really (laughs) is i mean there's so much in there you know i mean you could slice that up at 10 different ways (laughs) analyze her reaction on that one (laughs) Uh, but actually you know i think another really important aspect is humor you know, like when couples lose, because humor is is such a great way that we can say something but have a sense of humor about it. You know, it keeps it light. And you know, you might be kind of offering your partner a bit of an olive branch, but you're doing it in a way that's that's light. You know, um, I, actually, the other night, because I was, yeah, no, it was a couple of weeks ago. I was, I had decided to stay up late again to watch Netflix, and I decided I was going to watch Pandemic. Have you watched Pandemic?
0: Of course not. Are you kidding me? The last thing I need is m- more anxiety and fear.
1: I know. I know. So, <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> he was like, okay. He's like, I'm going up to bed now and you're staying here watching this. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And I was because I, I can get a bit like a drama junkie, you know? I mean, like I could throw myself into, and I, and I was like, do you know what? You're you're so right. I really don't want to watch this program, but I needed him to to do that with a sense of humor and to kind of to kind of pull me out of it too. You know, to kind of go, no, you don't need this at the moment. You really don't need this. You need to mind yourself. And I was like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it was just. Crazy, crazy. Anyway, but, you know, but that's a, that there's a lot of that at the moment, isn't there? You know, because we're scrolling on things and reading things and, you know, it's like pulling back. And sometimes we need the other person just to remind us, you know, just go, I don't think that's going to be good for you right now.
0: <laughs> I love it. Diane, I know. as we're wrapping up, is there anything that we haven't discussed that y- you feel like couples should know this, or is there a strategy or exercise or an acronym or a thought? Uh, or something. You want to leave I, I, I
1: mean, with. I just think, you know, uh, patience and empathy at the moment. You know, we are all going through such a difficult time and it's such an unknown. You know, we don't know when it'll end, depending on what country you're, you're listening to this podcast from. We don't know when your restrictions are lifted. So it's just about really being being really patient uh, and kind with each other and with yourself, because, you know, we can kind of forget that this is affecting us individually too. So it's just about, you know, it's recognizing that in ourselves and just being, just being nice to ourselves and being nice to each other. That's all.
0: I love it. And then last thing I ask of all the guests, uh, cause I imagine that there's always one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life before yeah. you kill yourself. What would you say to them?
1: I would say just hang, hang on in there. If this if this time is teaching us anything, it's just that as people, we are so, so good natured and there's so much help out there. And there's so many different resources to access. I mean, online therapy has taken off in a massive way. So there's never been so many ways to, to access help, you know, where you don't even need to, to leave your home. So I would just say, reach out, just reach out to, to one person and, uh, and hang on in there.
0: Thank you so much, Diane McDonald. Please plug all your things. Where can people find you, work with you, social media, all the things?
1: Um, well, uh, my website is Um, And I have a Facebook page. It's Diane McDonald, individual and couple therapist. And, and I post on that regularly with kind of tips and tricks for, for getting through this this time in particular. So, yeah, you can you can you can find me on, on those uh, platforms.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, listeners, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get therapy. It's not a substitute for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE number. It is not a substitute for you asking for help. Please reach out to someone. Someone wants to help you. Someone is waiting to hear your story. Your life matters And go to thrivewithleo.com if you want one-on-one coaching with yours truly. That's thrivewithleo.com. And let's get to tomorrow together.